0: how's it going? It's Doug Bird here, your host of the Something Fresh podcast, where we talk about all things sport, adventure, and lifestyle. To bring these conversations to life, we connect with people who make things happen in this space, be they industry leaders, athletes, influencers, or progressive thinkers, to name a few. I'm super passionate about this subject, not only because of its ever-changing dynamics, but also because of the role that it plays in our daily lives. The aim of the show is simple, create an environment where people can learn through the experiences of others be they established role players or new kids on the block, and hopefully through that, become inspired into action in some way. If that's not up your alley and you're simply here to listen to interesting conversations, then that's cool too. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the show. In 2010, a young lad graduated from university with a, is it a degree? Degree, yeah, BTEC degree. A BTEC degree in industrial design. He then moved into the normal world of industrial design for a little bit, designing things like water coolers and prams and shoes and all sorts of curious bits and pieces. But his first uh, affair, you could say, with the sport of cycling came in the form of Silverback Bikes, where he worked until 2016 and then moved on to doing his own things and developing a brand called Line Components, which is a high-quality product that is positioned at an affordable price. And uh, he did it in collaboration with his dad, which is really cool because it's uh, in the family and it speaks to their, their passion and what what they do in this I would say component space as a proudly South African product today we're talking to Dell Holmes who is the co-founder and co-owner of line components based out of the bustling metropolis of Cape Town Western Cape South Africa and we're going to be talking all things bike industry components why stuff's so expensive why you have to have a drop a seat post and many other things Dale it's good to have you on the podcast welcome
1: cool yeah thanks for having me
0: and it's an honor to be here so Thanks a lot. We can say with confidence that uh, between, well, I would say mostly Jason and maybe a little bit myself, is that we've put your products to the test. Um, wheels, <laughs> mostly Jason. Mostly yeah. Jason. Wheels, cranks, hubs, and the works and bar stems, yeah. Bar stems, and they've, they've absolutely stood the test of time,
2: J Dog. I've yet to put the, the Nana hammock to the test. Yeah, when I get my gravel back, I'll slap the, the Nana Hammock on there. Okay. <laughs> the, well, the it, it does say on the site like it's, it's guaranteed to fail at some point because it is just 3D printed and it is more of a joke. So
0: okay. well, <laughs> don't um, expect good results from that one. That's sure the one product that is just a, is ma- it, a fun thing. Is it thing. called the Banana Hammock? Yeah, uh, the,
2: yeah Nana Hammock, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm
0: sure my banana wouldn't put too much
2: strain on, on your hammock. It doesn't discriminate. Eh?
0: One uh, <laughs> size fits
2: way. all? Yeah, that's it. I literally
1: can. had to measure please Lots tell of me bananas with a vernier caliper
2: please tell me you s- in the image on the website it says banana for scale no it oh,
0: doesn't dude what a missed opportunity anyone who knows the I'm internet from, from 2010 like will be <laughs> i don't know i think the brand positioning and the marketing of line is, is world class you've You've, uh, you've come a long way with the brand but I'm quite curious to to take a few steps back because it's going to build up to all the difficult questions we're going to okay, ask later yeah. and we got some uh, fan questions fan to, questions to I, saw, with, yeah. I saw some spice there we might have to uh, we might have to censor some of them perhaps <laughs> <laughs> your, your, I think your friends uh, were very enthusiastic at the okay. opportunity to send in or submit questions to <laughs> that's, good.
1: To that's good I'm glad I'm glad uh, people made an effort
0: cool so the the sport of cycling is an interesting one. Um, I'd say mountain biking is your your focus, although you have products in your range that can you yeah. know, work across road, gravel, yeah, cross country, marathon, enduro. Yeah, something for everyone essentially within everything that you offer. Um, but I wanted to start off, I guess, with with Silverback and your your journey in the sport and and how it evolved from being part of a, a proudly South African brand like Silverback and the lessons you learned there and ultimately how I it, it would imagine it set you up for moving on to doing your own thing.
1: Yeah, so that was quite a wild journey. Um, that was, you know, at the time I was in Joburg, I was working, as you mentioned, designing some sort of random stuff, prams, water coolers. I learned a lot there, um, but I, you know, I wanted to be in Cape Town. I'd studied here um, and also, you know, wanted to be more working with things, something with wheels, man. Like when I grew up, it was all about motorbikes, BMX bicycles, skateboarding, building go-karts, anything with wheels, anything that was like boisterous, made noise, maybe made to dirt <laughs> fly or whatever. Just, you know, outside having fun um, being semi-childish. Um,
0: were you one of those kids that had a clothes peg and a piece of milk bottle cut out on your spokes so that would... Brew, absolutely. <laughs> or the,
1: the card-on-spokes thing, you know. Uh, that's funny, Danica and I were talking about the other day. I said, have you, you know, have you ever seen a kid do that? She was like, no. I was like, oh my gosh. That was yeah. half my childhood. 100%. <laughs> so yeah, that was, the, that was what made me kind of tick and what I loved and, and all of that. And, and when I was in Joburg working... Um, Raúl de Villiers who was the product manager at Silverback gave me a call and was like listen we want to expand the team Uh, you know I know you're quite a technical designer and I know that you like riding bicycles and motorbikes and all sorts of things you know I think you'd be a good fit so yeah I got you know got into the first plan I could got an interview with the owner um, Dion Ratif and uh, yeah it went well Uh, you know I kind of fit in well with the team there and yeah, I went head, for, head first into it. But, you know, at the time I also wasn't, I wasn't like an avid cyclist back then. You know, I had like an old rubbish 26er and every now and then I'd go and ride a, you know, like a fun race. So, uh, although I rode a lot of BMX as a kid, I wasn't a mountain biker per se. I kind of became a mountain biker there and figured out also that, you know, there's various different types of mountain biking eventually to find out, you know, I'm I'm really passionate about the gravity side of mountain biking. But, yeah learned a lot there what bikes were silverback putting out at that time so i arrived just as 29ers were like the thing and silverback had just launched like a bike called the Vida, which was like they were so so good with that and you know being on you know on trend and and also just taking something which was like you know niner having very expensive like bespoke 29 inch hardtails and saying well that's what people want but you know selling it at like half the price Mm. with equally good components and a great frame and geometry so that was the main thing they were phasing out like 26 inch full suspensions 29er hardtails were selling like hotcakes 29 er full suspensions weren't really a thing actually yet um apparently quite
2: difficult to design suspension yeah nobody had kind of
1: like figured it quite out yet you know there were some um around i still remember actually looking at the niner catalog where they they brought out a 140 mil full suspension 29er and we were like how this did, can't work how did they do it yeah and it was thick and it looked like a downhill bike and we were like yo that's a wild concept but it's that's never gonna stick like no one's gonna ride a long travel 29er like it's for cross country you know Fascinating. It's super funny because that was you know little did we know that that was the bike you know that we'd all be riding yeah 140 but. mil <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, a head angle is probably like 90 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> 92. <Yeah. laughs> You're already over the bars. Yeah, yeah so no, it, uh, it probably didn't have the best uh, geometry. I
2: remember the links being like super long.
0: As, yeah. they sh- as they are now. Yeah,
2: as they're going back to now. Yeah, but no.
0: Four no. <laughs> 440s? 440s, no, Probably in the region
2: of 480. 80. What? Yeah. I need one of those. <laughs> who is it? I think Leo Kok- Kokonen, the guy who does pole bicycles, pole. He put 490 mm. more chainstays on his enduro bike just to see what it would be like. And apparently the cornering was insane. It just railed corners flat out because you would right in the middle. And Dale's feeling mm, really no, uncomfortable. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Dale see, likes cutting. So, so this uh, yeah. is the kind of
0: thing Jay and I get like caught up on and, and excited about in the office. And now that we've got someone that actually knows what they're talking about from a design point of view, he's like... Mm you could see the look on his face there he was like I'm not so sure I think as soon as I mentioned Paul Dale was like
1: Ugh. oh I can't deal that brand and also it's like it's a all disappointing because it's an design. industrial designer like one of the few brands that's like completely headed up by industrial designer and kind of doesn't well maybe I'm wrong but like isn't an engineer and, it, and it's kind of making industrial designers bad look bad it was my, all of the opinion. industrial and none of the design yeah I don't know I, I i like what he did i mean he's pushed the limits and it's good for the rest of the industry to see what you can do um it's just also i don't know his attitude he's not very liked in the pink bike comments it seems
2: mm. um pink, anyway. bike. The
0: pink bike. there
2: it's <laughs> like some little forum <laughs> uh, thing yeah some some dude the guys love the American. forum hey? dude the pink bike comments every now and then i get
0: trapped just reading black <laughs> comments. Yeah, definitely not one of those. It's so funny. People are wild. I did see an advert the other day, and we're totally going off tack here about Toyota Australia.
2: Oh, <laughs> it was brilliant. Was it Toyota it was Australia? No, it was, it was a USA.
1: And wow. they got yeah. annihilated. Apparently, they've had a they've made a reply to that. Ah, oh, pretty, pretty sure they made an advert have. with an actual yeah. and, thread and in I'm it. And I'm telling you oh, now, really. the
0: agency behind it that that pulls it up. We were like, it was strategic. We yeah. got the world talking about it. <laughs> and that, well, that <laughs> but, worked. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, those of you that haven't seen it, it is, it is quite funny. I mean, it's nothing major, really. Um, but they're advertising what is in South Africa, I'd say the RAV4. And it's a different name there. It's Toyota, Krona, I don't know, whatever I think, it yeah. is. It's more and like, no, it's
1: more like a big Fortuna.
0: Really? It's a big yeah. burly car. Like that's la- what they were
1: like trying to say. You know, like big burly car, mountain biker, standard, you know, like. Yeah, these two just go together yeah
0: and then yeah so the carry. model was dressed in i would say a pretty decent helmet and protective gear but then he was like on a macro special well it <laughs> was motocross <laughs> kit. with with reflectors was it, yeah, Jesus, no, it was, i did not even full look at full the on motocross kit well so there was nothing even so so bicycle it a, about it so it was a downhill was, ride in motocross kit on a hardtail 24 macro inch bike. macro bike with a kickstand with a, and, and and he, he and own, was wearing work boots and, and like I thought they
1: were air jordans no they were they were hard
2: like um you know the the steel cap, Johnson Tough. <laughs> yeah, 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 those. Oh well, well they really just nailed their target audience. Yeah,
0: exactly. The the working class hero that that put safety first and riding to work every day. Um, so yeah, that was a bit of a, a the shift on giving Toad a bit more airtime there.
2: So back to a uh, long uh, long chain long stays chain on one hundred and forty more 29 niners. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, that uh, was.
1: Yeah, like you know, when you know that what? happened,
2: everyone was like, "No, like, this isn't uh, isn't possible."
1: yeah that's a tricky one just like you know, 490 it like the size of your body mm. how you ride mm. I remember we had we had a f- like a first prototype a silverback of a 29 er full suspension and I think it had something like 475 or something chain stays. wow and it was like so fast in a straight line and you could steamroll everything like it was just like crazy but I just could not go around corners like especially the tighter the corner the more difficult it became and mm-hmm. that still even had like a steep head angle so it wasn't you know it should have didn't still necessarily have a long wheelbase because, yeah, yeah. Hmm. but it was just it but just I suppose gives the bike totally the reach on it.
2: that bike like your front center would have been almost 475 as well
1: yeah like, those well everything would have been short yeah steep and then long chain because you didn't quite know how to
2: Make it all work. With it these was big that a fact that you just needed more room to figure out the, the linkage and?
1: Yeah, the, the, it was this. It was a combination of the suspension design on the bike, um, three by chain rings, no space. Um, yeah, lots of things. It was. Mm-hmm. It was difficult. Like that was probably the 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 part of the bike you spent most of your time was just trying to get the chainstay yoke right. Yeah. Um, everything else was like easy, but that part. And then having the rear tire end up halfway through your seat tube, like, yes. <laughs> and then like trying to kink seat tubes to get the everything out the way, or the take o- or take away the bridge across the two seat stays because that yes. would end up in the seat tube. Yes, so it, it was a real design challenge to try and make yeah. these big wheels fit. And then everybody wanted bigger tires, and then everybody wanted shorter chain stays, and then everybody wanted more travel. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> all the designers like, like, no, it's yeah. not possible. <laughs> <laughs> no that's it and then when the, this, this first specialised enduro 29er came out with 435 chainstays, I literally heard that Olympic cycles had one and I was like that's impossible they're lying in their geometry figures absolutely not took a tape measure drove to Olympic cycles like phone Jason and said like can I quickly come measure something on the bike I was like yeah sure like it's actually forty thirty five, and it's got a two point four tire, on like this is impossible. So, can I
2: drop the pressure <laughs> and just cycle it to its travel? So I know the tire isn't going to burn through the c tube.
1: Yeah, no, it was more actually like I couldn't believe the chainstay yoke; they could fit. You know, I think it still had a two by chain, uh, two a two by crankset on there. I was like, this is impossible. Then, you know, turned out you had to be a little smarter and make things even more tight. And you know, they they were dropping the chainstays even lower to kind mm-hmm. of get out the way. You know
2: that whole. So what, do we, yeah, what's, what? What has happened now in bike design that's allowed for the short chain stays to happen? Boost, and okay. single chainrings. Boost at the rear. So boost yeah. at the rear
1: means that the chainring in the front sits outboard, okay. and makes more space for the tire and the um, the yoke. Okay. But the thing is, I don't know if you notice now, like or compared to older bikes, the the drive side chain stay would always drop, yes. and the non-drive side one would be straight. And that drop was also because when it. When you compress the suspension, your chain scenario, would effectively hit the front derailleur. Yes. So you had to do like a cutaway and make it, well, not a cutaway, sort of an S-bend around and underneath. And that whole thing was all because of front derailleurs, two-by chain rings and everything being non-boost. So there was no space. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where things have moved. That's why we're now able to do it. We can actually, you know, we can have symmetrical rear triangles now with no front aurelias. You've got boost spacing, which makes a bit more space. The big problem with two-by chainrings, is you'd had up to like 42 sometimes, Yeah, you know. That's massive. It like comes right back into mm. your rear wheel area. So yeah, all of those things have made it a lot easier. What were you specifically working on on the silverback bikes? So initially everything like just getting stuck in like the first project i did big one was um, a 27.5 hardtail uh, carbon bike called the synchra um that was quite cool that was super fun and then as we got into things we we kind of saw where our passions were and and whatever and then raul moved more towards cross-country bikes and i moved more towards um, trail and enduro bikes Mm. and then we Kind of split um, the bikes and models that way. The funny thing is, I moved into quite a different role there when I was there. It was it was it was super good because I learned so much about everything in terms of like not just design. It was like graphics. Like I did a lot of those bikes graphics. I think I don't think a lot of people know that. Like a big portion of my time was doing
2: graphics because on Canva. Th- Sorry on Canva on Canva. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> there's your answer right there that joke fell flat okay I don't know that (laughs) one it's always it's Canva's uh, a graphic design design. is it like oh it's like like one of these things that's like oh you don't need a graphic design you you just do it on yourself at Canva yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, that joke fell flat anyway carry (laughs) on (laughs) (laughs) no the reason the reason was I
1: I am quite good at like graphics and stuff but at the same time graphic design on a bicycle is an absolute 3D nightmare like especially on aluminium bikes uh, in that Era. like it's getting easier now with internal routing but you had to make graphics that accommodated fit all sizes of one decal sheet and then didn't hit a single cable guide anywhere uh. because and the cable guys would would move around per size so you would basically be using like cad 2d drawings and then putting graphic design around and trying to judge whether you know the the, the decals are going to interfere with a this or that, you know, on the frame, and then do that over like multiple models and multiple, um, you know, color combos. Because you'd have the same frame, but then have it in five different color combos and five different sizes, and every single one of those would have to be processed, checked, sized, ready for manufacture. That, that sounds uh, like a nightmare. It was a lot of work, and that's why eventually I start. I actually got like moved to the role of sort of creative director because I then was managing the graphic designers. To try and get that process to work smoothly with the industrial designers, and then, you know, interestingly, then moved into helping with the marketing to try and tell that story out to the public. You know, this is what we did in terms of the design. This is what we did with the graphics, as well, you know, and help send the brand message sort of out to the public. So that's where I learned a little bit about marketing and stuff and and Dion you know he comes from a very sort of marketing orientated background and he and he uh, was always pushing for the best and and kind of a um, you know real motivator and and also had no no kind of tolerance for substandard uh, design or you know anything you produced had to be internationally good so yeah he pushed us super hard I mean it was difficult to work for him at times because, you know, he didn't have any tolerance for anything that was not great. So, but at the same time, you know, you look back and you're like, well, he was right. He, he wanted the best for his brand, and, um, you know, that's how you have to do things sometimes. Sometimes uh, your emotions have to be left at the door.
0: I mean, a lot of lot of risk starting a brand, like Silverback or, or any brand for that matter, in in the context of global business starting a brand's tough work in itself, but I would say the fact that we're so detached from what happens over East from a production point of view. Yeah. That's a significant barrier to entry. And understanding how that aspect of the business works, it it's a lot of pressure on him financially to, to make sure that things are were happening. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, The design aspect of of things whether it's from a geometry geometric perspective or like a a branding perspective and positioning perspective is one thing i'm very curious to know how you guys manage the production aspects of those because um, having having the little insight that i do into that production aspect of it Mm -hmm. of of the business it's that can be one of the biggest headaches. I mean on, on paper and on, on your desired files you know exactly what you want, but then you know, what what you submit to factory and what you get sometimes there are big variances and you know, you're not a big bike brand, so you're at the back of the queue in terms Absolutely. of priority and from from what I believe, you know, there are not that many big factories out there that manufacture bikes, so invariably you see several big brands coming out of one factory. That must have been quite a journey to to unpack all of that and form relationships that are reliable
1: yeah i mean i think that that so you hit it you know hit the nail on the head basically the we would go a year and and more i can't i can't remember now but i think it was probably a year and a half ahead of when we wanted that bike to be here and and the thing is with that is you know you would and I'm talking about submitting a year and a half. So the design happens before that. You know, so if you need like six months to work on a bike, or three months, it was more like three months to actually 3D model the bike and get it finished. You'd submit, but then you're going to deal with headaches for a year and a half before you see, you know, anything. And that's that's what it was about. like, And then changing the design to f- fix the headaches. So... Yeah, I mean, it was totally about that. Like, that was was what we'd spend most of our time doing. It was like trips to Asia all the time, Um, you know, in in the middle of, like, development season, if you want to call it that. We'd probably be there every sort of eight weeks. Wow. Um, And, you know, I don't know how guys are doing it now with corona because I'm struggling with with the small amount of development we do. I'm struggling because I can't be there. So, you know yeah it was basically that submit stuff spend loads of times in the factory do like sample trips where you have the entire fleet of bikes a one-off is produced they actually get painted Um, you know this is obviously easy bikes like a hardtail or whatever if you're talking a full-size project that's like you know that's a few years in times of development that's like where you make a first prototype second prototype you know change 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 production and then production you still you know mass production brings up a whole bunch of problems and then you do still doing changes throughout the product life because mm. things fail and you have to fix them early you know as early as you can so sometimes you start seeing failures and then you're fixing that so it was yeah i mean it it's it's like 20 percent design and 80 percent putting out fires smoothing things out um hitting price points that's another massive thing, like you because know, cutting back because you you've done this amazing thing, but mm. it's way too expensive.
0: So yeah, I mean, was, so all of those dynamics. I mean, how do you? I mean, where do you where do you kind of start? And I suppose this bridges both line and and silverback is if you wanted to develop a range of bikes, like five bikes mm. for argument's sake, so mm. something that is uh, you know something for children, something for a teenager, then you know your adult bike, hardtail. Soft tail. Mm. I mean, there is so many different directions. I'd imagine that that process in the beginning to get that groundswell momentum behind you is is really tough because, yeah. as you say, the product's constantly evolving. Yeah. It'll probably take two to three years to get to the point where something's actually perfect.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, and, and then and, uh, during
0: uh, yeah. that time, you've had to probably start designing the next yeah. thing.
1: Yeah, I think also that's also why a lot of brands, even Silverback, I mean, everybody whoever you look at in South Africa or anywhere, actually most of them in the world started with basically open model frames. Mm. Like they, you know, brands get a a couple of, you know, frames that are already good. They've been safety tested, whatever. Put some graphics on them. Start getting your brand out there and then start changing things. Start changing tubes, developing your own tubes, you know. By the time we joined Silverback, Dion was just like, I don't want anything open model. Everything must be custom. Like open molds, do what you need to do, I don't want anyone to ever see that we ever used a catalog frame again, which is a super brave move, it was a not the, the cheapest move, I mean, financially it was not, you know, if an accountant looked at it, they would say that that wasn't a smart move, but he knew that from a brand perspective, you need to have your own developments, you need to have um, custom things. Full suspension's not not really like something you can just buy off the shelf and sell. Usually, it's not. They're always a couple of years behind, and they're not really like designed by core riders. But uh, you know, is hardtail's pretty easy to make, and you know, a factory can figure out a hardtail by themselves pretty much. So, so that's basically how one would usually start something like that. But you can't kind of expect to be seen as like a, you know massively innovative brand if you go that route. So yeah that's that's how i think most people would start a brand like that um unless you just had like stacks of money and a really good design team and some years before you knew you were going to get like a good product out there um you could go that route but it's trickier i mean the the bike industry game is i mean i'm talking full bikes like bike brands it's a it's a cutthroat tricky industry there's there's going to be a lot of guys, uh, you know, in the coming sort of months or years that are not going to make it through because the lead times are too long for them to front um, the cash to run their businesses. Like cash flow is now completely ruined from long lead times. So, And that was already the biggest barrier to entry, you know, from with bike brands to start with because you, you usually wait for a year before you get anything and factories want deposits. So... Now you're talking, you know, up to two or some three years, you know, like two hundred uh, sorry seven hundred or so day lead time on some forks from some fork suppliers at the moment. Wow. So, you know, if your bike has happens to have that fork in the spec, seven hundred days and you'll see your bike, you know.
0: It's crazy. Yeah.
1: So that's what's happening right now and that's uh that's um, I'm I'm lucky I'm not you know completely involved in that but we are affected
0: by that so yeah and and during your time at Silverback I mean where at what point did you start to notice opportunities outside of the brand of Silverback because that's no doubt where it where it started was it driven by out and out this is an opportunity and no one's doing it yet or it's a case of you know what I'm seeing here, and it's not necessarily linked to to silverback, but through your exposure of going over to the east and meeting with factory owners and trying to understand the the cost of things. I mean, mm-hmm. being there from a design point of view, you had an intimate cost of, of, of bike and 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 development costs, but now you're seeing the manufacturing aspects to it. Was it a case of uh, to go back? This is a clear opportunity you want to take advantage of it, or this stuff is like way more expensive than it should be. I can put out or or develop something that is really high quality but at a price that is more reasonable
1: yeah so i think it was yeah that's that's a part of it um there were a few things that kind of aligned at the same time like um as you said like line components was a was you know as much as as much me as much as it was my my dad so he at the time was looking around for like business ventures he kind of was uh you know he's he's a my dad's a civil engineer and project manager and extremely sort of level-headed organized kind of guy like a typical engineer um and he was in between contracts um and, and he wanted to invest into something and i i had lots of ideas and I was also in this whole thing and I had my own ambitions like I, I kind of felt at Silverback that I'd, I'd kind of hit the ceiling in terms of what I could learn. Um, it was becoming sort of more repetition in the end where we were doing the same things and I I'd, I'd kind of I wanted more of a challenge in the end. Um, it was very tricky because I mean for a lot of industrial designers that is the dream job like design bikes for a living. Um, but at the same time it was hugely stressful. Lots of trips overseas, lots of time away from the family, lots of, you know, as I said, lots of stress. But that was, you know, with production headaches, problems, big numbers at stake. Um, so, yeah, basically I was looking for something else to, to kind of go into that would be more of my own and my own journey. Um, and then also we discovered, you know, through, the, through this whole thing that, yeah, like things at factory price and the, and the, the price that they're sold at are, you know, there's worlds between it. And I noticed through this whole thing that it was not so much to do with the fact that the product was badly priced or the manufacturing was a problem. It was just the business model. You know, everybody in South Africa was just like, oh no, you know, start a business, find an American brand, import their product. And then basically your money is traveling, you know, via the American company. um, uh, Well, you know, I'm talking about the product price is now filtered down through too many people you know it's basically going factory sometimes a trading company in taiwan then an american brand then a local distributor then a bike shop then to the consumer so now through all of those steps even if the everybody in that whole supply chain is humble and they don't put a big markup on and they're just trying to do the best they can it's inherently flawed because you know the product ends up being like a thousand times a thousand percent uh, you know (laughs) from the cost price to sold so yeah that was where it was like uh, where we were like well you know direct to consumer like brands like Canyon are doing it successfully um, you know chain reactions kind of doing it like I'm sure we can pull it off in South Africa and also you know why do we need to pay an American brand like we're just as talented as them I'd seen I'd you know been at all of the parties throughout all of the bike trade shows you know had drinks with all of these guys who like are just people like you and me who are just you know in the bike industry they've got talent so do we we've got lots of talent in south africa um yeah and that was the other thing you know just like let's do it from here like let's show the world that we have the ability to do it so you know that was also the one thing that kind of like bothered me about silverback like i don't want to talk badly about them but they you know they moved they re-registered as a german brand um, and so, as much as the the brand is run from Germany, we were still doing a lot of the core design from here, and we couldn't really claim that because you know it was bikes had German flags on them, and it was you know it was kind of one thing. I was like, well, you know, that's not really. I can't put my like stamp on that because that's now a German brand. Mm. So that was the, that
0: was one of the reasons for kind of wanting to move on to my own South African thing. But yeah. And in terms of your, your relationships there, I mean, you, you're not going to just come up with this uh, overnight. I mean, it must have been quite a process or a transition, at least, <laughs> to, to kind of, you know, it is a, it is a tricky one in that you're, you've got one, kind of one foot in the silverback stable, but then you're also looking and, and you know, invariably developing organic relationships um, without any other intention of doing something on your own. But when you start to have those thoughts of venturing out on your own, you really got to rely on that network and trust that they can actually deliver um yeah. that that's how long did it take you in terms of developing your process of of or well, your rather your your network and your suppliers and and reliable people
1: yeah that w- that was tricky i mean i always uh made sure that i was kind of liked in taiwan by all the suppliers and um you know was not disrespectful and try to try to be as as sort of I was often the buffer, to be honest, between Dion, who was you know pushing hard for his brand and then me trying to be oftentimes too sensitive and and look out for the people who are <laughs> you know in the firing line, so people kind of you know sort of um, what do you call them sales people in the in the factory were often quite fond of me because I'd kind of be like you know the intermediary between Silverback and them and trying to like just make sure that everybody is not, uh, you know, put in the wrong light. So I was quite liked there. I, I did rely quite heavily on the fact that I'd made some contacts there. My dad was, you know, already working on it for quite a while while I was still at Silverback. Um, and I obviously helped him where I needed to, but he was out there setting it up. And then we started while I was still in at Silverback. Um, and my old man literally started it from home He was dispatching orders himself, um, doing everything, replying to customers, doing all of it while I was working. And then at night, I would, you know, jump in and help where I needed to help Um, in terms of technical inquiries, in terms of anything design, you know, related or marketing, whatever. So, and then what happened was he was kind of, he was like, you know, this thing's snowballing, like you've got, you need to leave. Um, He, he had started a, a new contract with, with a consulting company. And he was like, look, I'm, I'm, I've got a new contract. I need you to come and run this thing. The intention was that eventually I would run it. Um, so yeah, I had to move out of silverback. I, I, I luckily gave them like six months notice, um, and, and worked out all my projects to try and hand it over because it's, you know, it's a lot of work you're busy working on and you can't just mm. leave, you know, like, mm. and I didn't want it to like do that to them. So, um, so yeah, we we took it like a slow process of kind of handing over all my stuff. I mean, they weren't pleased with me. Let's be honest. Like I don't think anyone would be. Um, but at the same time, like I, I you know, like I said to Dion, you know, like I just want to be like you. You know, you've uh, created some amazing things in your life, and you you are your own boss, and you have your own ideas of where you want to be. And I I have the same. You know, I want to be somewhere in my life where I'm. Um, I've created. You know what I've created and, and it's me and I can't really do that working for someone else so unfortunately you know I had to make a call forge my own
0: path and, and that so th- obviously I, I, again I'm talking about me
1: but with my
0: dad yeah of course you know. so what do what are your uh, before we sink our teeth into into line <laughs> what are, what are your proudest uh developments at at Silverback and I, I mean also you know Dion and listening to to his story kudos to him man big balls hmm. taking on these types of Huge. projects it's his money you know I can sure. I can relate to that in many respects of and and you no doubt as well you know you yeah, bring your own absolutely. bosses when it's your money it's it's a you, you're definitely far more intense than you would be if it's not your money um, absolutely and kudos to him because um, yes although it's repositioned as a German brand I think it, it comes from a, a really a really cool and strong heritage, and the fact that you know it's proudly South African, and and he's pursued open mould. You know, I would say was it pretty much from the beginning? Well, no, so
1: open mould is is when when you use someone else's mould. Yeah, so but did he, he start with he started yes, with a, yeah, So, yeah, he, so pursu- he started just just to, yeah, to pursued, get the ball rolling. Yeah,
0: so pursuing open mould to get the thing going, but then early on committing to going custom. Uh, a lot lot can be said that yeah, so shout out to them but in terms of in terms of your like we I often I, I said like whenever I see like bike porn stuff from like Ford to Jason and Dale and whatnot and I think it was a bird. A bird bike, and then one recently. (laughs) You're like, that's my seat tube design. Down tube, down down tube, tube, down tube. I saw it again. I saw it. I've seen it now the fourth time. So I'm imagining that that's one of your proud achievements there. That now it's that I'm assuming is obviously open mold, and and different brands are using it. But what 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 is the bike that stoked you out the most that you have developed at Silverback? Uh, so so it's not one that really
1: saw too much light unfortunately it was uh, there was some politics but it was the last one i designed which is called the surface which is a 29 140 mil sort of long-ish travel burly trail bike and um yeah there was there were some yeah silverback was busy m- moving factories and there was there were dramas and and lots of things behind the scenes where there were uh, issues from that factory that weren't resolved and you know out of principle i think dion was wanting to cut ties with him but it was sad because i just you know we had just got the ball rolling with the project um but yeah it was a i feel like a pretty nice looking bike like a good good marriage of uh you know at the time good geometry like really sort of kind of forward thinking suspension kinematics like very progressive leverage ratios um very functional design, like it had a unified kind of rear triangle with a linkage-driven. Um, so it was a single pivot, but linkage-driven with it with a unified rear triangle, and that that kind of uh, system wasn't too used at the time. And uh, in another form, it's becoming kind of the mainstream suspension system, which is the same as all of these flex pivot designs yes. because okay. it's yeah, it's oh. the same concept. It's you know, it's a linkage. Driving shock, but it's a single pivot, mm. and that linkage in between is what you get to, you know, co- actually be able to control the leverage ratio, um, but still maintain the simplicity of a, sim- of a single pivot design. Yeah. yeah, and in this case, you can unify the rear triangle, like a, the flex pivot systems, just because they, you know, they they want to simplify it, take away a pivot, to make it lighter. Okay. Um, yeah. So that was that was for me the proudest
0: bike of, of mine. I mean, yeah. and have, having seen it in the flesh, it, it's one of those bikes when you look at it, you just... It looks right. I, mm. I don't know if that makes any sense, but... No, sure. Th- that that, that know, was often, a... Yeah, it's a huge part of it. Often come across a bike and you look at its side profile and you're like, ooh-wee, I don't know anything about this thing, but, but I want to damn, ride it. this thing looks like it's just on point. Mm. Um, that Meta so. TR. Yo, that is it, eh? Yeah. That's... Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, funny. it's funny that Dyson has
1: this dyson and i always talk about this because there's some guys that are just like oh whatever the geometry is all that matters and him and i are like it's got to have that stance yeah like it's got to exactly like it's you just look at it and it looks rad you know i think like fast yeah exactly like santa cruz has always been like really good at doing that their bikes always just look like they're burly and like ready to take on a trail common cells doing a great job with that like there's so many well a couple I mean, of good brands now just making bikes that just look like got it right you know I'm the lines work
0: I'm loving the transition stuff always oh, have it's looking good it's eh? so very so very good. nice
1: that was yeah. one of the companies that inspired me to also start line like they're just the, the down to earthness rider owned culture of mm. the brand the fact that the owners like shred bikes and they you know they also just like don't bullshit in their marketing too much mm. you know it was the early days at Silverback like there was so much nonsense in the marketing like we'd actually laugh you know you'd bring up these guys kinematics and the suspension
0: analysis software and it was like bro what are you talking of, about of your com- of competitors yeah, like, like, so you guys at Silverback nonsense. looking at competitors going yeah, like, guys this is
1: nonsense <laughs> also turning their flaws into like complete marketing points like bro you what
0: <laughs> brain suspension <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Brain suspension. <laughs> <laughs> what was
2: so you said your bike was somewhat that surface was somewhat forward thinking. What was mm. inspiring you? Um, so like one of the things was like the well in terms of other brands or uh, to like to go with that progressive leverage ratio and geometry numbers, like what was
1: Yeah, so the the geometry of numbers I you know it, it, I actually remember sitting there with like we used to just do it all in Excel and I used to do like just big spreadsheets with lots of other brands and then actually run averages of to see what the average (laughs) geometry numbers are Mm. because there's so many different opinions and people are going down so many avenues to just try and see what what but the problem is you you're looking at it and it's that's now which was designed three years ago so so now if you had to you know look at the latest to specialize in enduro Somebody in 2018 was coming up like with those figures. These are the numbers we're going to need, yeah. And, now you, and then you're basically looking and saying, okay, well, last year, everything was two degrees steeper. Now, in three years' time when we launch, are we going to go like five degrees? Are we going to go one degree? Or are we going to go... The you Grim know, Donut. That's <laughs> a, this is part. the problem. You see, the, with the Grim Donut is a great example because they just went to Taiwan and had a laugh and made one frame yeah. with like outrageous geometry yeah. numbers. They weren't saying... We're gonna we're gonna commit to yes, like a carbon yeah. frame or an aluminium frame with welding mm. tooling that's ready for mass production and just put everything on the line and pre order like hell and hope the geo numbers are fine. Yeah. You like dial it back yeah, because you like that, if it's too risk, gnarly yeah. then people also won't buy it. So mm because so th-
0: that's also another consideration is like is designs the one but the consumer driven aspect of sure. it is will this be adopted mm. so like absolutely w- while it's like from a design and engineering point of view it's on point yeah. you know is it going to be something that people look at and go oh no this is a bit too like too crazy you know like mm. I think if if super enduro had become a thing five six years ago guys would have been like no nah, no one would have bought nah, bikes, this bikes yeah. yeah. this is not going to work but now, so much it's travel it's never going to pedal exactly, well and, yeah. exactly
2: no now exactly
1: I mean I remember going to I think it was probably 2013, Silverback, we launched some 140mm 27 trail bikes. I mean, those things had like 68 degree head angle, 140mm trail bike. And the guys, when we went and showed it to these guys, half the dudes rode it and they were like, this head angle's way too slack, I don't know if this is going to work in our region, it's got steering flop. I'm like, "What do you mean it's got steering flop? It's 60 <laughs> I'm like... Dude, what are you talking about? Like, no, no. When you ride, you can feel on the climbs it flops at sixty-eight degrees. I'm like, yeah, okay, blasphemy. Sweet, you know, and that and literally they didn't want, didn't order the bike. they like, their, their region's very cross-country orientated. This, if you had made it sixty-nine or seventy, maybe we could buy it. I'm like, but that's XC geometry. But they're like, well, we sell XC bikes
2: and. That's yeah. the geometry we like, and even now that's that's not even XC geometry now. No, no now like, so, yeah. <laughs> XC geometry is like going like sixty-six, 66 degrees 66, on some bikes, yeah. but but you see what I'm
1: saying? Like now you can't go too far with it because then some people won't buy it. Yes, the states will probably buy it because they just like everything that's super extreme, but so yeah. Anyway, I've gone down a rabbit hole, but the geometry was somewhat like it was relevant but it wasn't outrageous it was more just suspension curves like okay. going for a very progressive leverage ratio meant that you could you know you could get a very usable suspension feel you'd have good like small bump sensitivity yeah. and then you could also take a big hit and then that became the standard yeah you know it was it was not um, you know it wasn't a, a like a standard thing back then a lot of people mm. had you know linear leverage ratios even some regressive like Scott, for many years, had very regressive um, leverage ratios, and they were terrible. Like the old Scott design, before they brought out this new one, had like a completely regressive leverage ratio. And this is lockout was invented. Of, this is when one of those things where they say, in the marketing, they're like, "No, no, if you look at our suspension curves, basically you pump it up super hard, because now it's regressive, it's, it's like trying to fall through its travel the whole time. Yeah. So you pump it up super hard and when you hit a bump, the suspension will move. So it's basically like we made suspension that doesn't work until you smash it into something. So like, <laughs> and then it's, not, it's going to have no pedal bob because it's just going to be so like rock hard. right at the top of its travel with no sag. And then like you can just, yeah, you'll get some suspension if you go hard enough into a rock. <laughs> <That is laughs> but if you did run it at like proper sag, you could, you could literally take that bike and just completely bottom it out by like a mild bunny hop. Like, just nothing. That is fascinating. But, you know, then they... they yeah, and also lockouts. You know, they, Scott was very smart with eventually, like, actually modifying the internals of their shocks. Like, they were always way more advanced in the shock development with Fox and with all these DT Swiss and whatever than actually focusing on the kinematics. Maybe there's some engineer there who was like, you're an idiot. You weren't trying to see what I was actually trying to make. Yeah. But I was like well I don't know you could just have a good leverage ratio and you don't have to have all that ugly stuff <laughs> Yeah, you know
0: Pat Moore's a big advocate for that mm. he's like lockouts and brain suspension yeah. makes his head hurt yeah it's yeah. patches for bad design yeah yes. he's
1: he and he, uh, we, he was also we always looked at his designs and he was always like super um, high anti-squat levels and that's mm. and that's to you know to naturally eliminate pedal bob just by using your pedaling force and not by having to use the lockout so Pat was
2: was quite ahead of the game with that um, so is, is anti squat does it have to do with the chain force on absolutely the, so when there's tension on the chain mm. it counters the it the wants to extend it wants to extend the suspension basically yeah okay so I'll you gotta stop me because I'll ramble there eh? Like, well I'm it's not about me. It.
0: It's just I'm so it. someone that's driving to work right now is going to arrive mentally exhausted after trying to keep up <laughs> your, with the technical uh, aspects of this conversation I'll, I'll give it I'll try and get compressed Bur- it no, into make make two it minutes. minutes make it relatable or yes. at least something that people can understand and use as a tool yeah. to make a better purchasing decision so that's in five joy. years time everyone will know that's, that's just how knowledge works yes. Yes,
2: yes. yes so just explain it for people now so that they know in okay, five so, years time so basically
1: and this is actually something interesting that I found out when I started working on it but I thought pedal bob was because people's heavy legs flap around on their bike and the bike bobs around. Like I thought it's you're literally bouncing up and down, the rhythmic motion of your body is creating the bob on your bike. And later to discover that's, that's one of the reasons, but the main thing is that actually your pedal stroke goes through a, like a power stroke and then it dies and then it goes up to power stroke. Yes, and that's yeah. obviously when you're when your pedals are at the top and bottom, and then when you move into the forward and back position of your pedals, you're now putting down power again, kind of like what the oval chainring is trying to cancel out. cancel out. But that is basically, so the difference between, like I, I used to do this at Silverback to try and explain this, but a motorbike, if you accelerate on it, it's a consistent power. You keep the throttle at one position, it's a consistent sort of, um, you know, acceleration. There, yes. there is no acceleration. You can be traveling down a road. At a, at, a, at a continual speed with no acceleration whereas on a bicycle to keep a what you're trying to do uh, is a continual speed is not actually a continual speed it's, it's lots like of little fast accelerations. slow fast slow fast slow. Yeah. averaging out um and basically and then that gets more and more sort of exaggerated the steeper you start climbing you know you start literally really like that's when your front wheel starts lifting off the ground on a steep climb it's that there's power no power power no power and that basically what that's doing is your center of gravity moves backwards and then forwards backwards and forwards so okay. all your weight shifts to the back of the bike suspension compresses forward and then back and then basically you, create, you start creating this rhythm where your, your, your weight is moving forward and back but some smart engineers ages ago realized that if you set the linkages up or your, your pivots up in a certain positioning your chain tension will actually try to extend the suspension so basically, if you think about it this way, if you had to, you know, if you take a main pivot on a bicycle and you lifted it up halfway up to your bum, the the pivot, the the chainstay would somewhat be sloping down, and the chain would pull the chainstay out. Mm. If that makes sense, you'd yes, have yeah. you'd have a you'd have this effect where the chain would actually pull the suspension to extend, and that's effectively what you're doing. So, the second that you accelerate with your with your pedaling force your weight moves backwards but because your chain is pulling the suspension out trying to extend it it cancels out and you move forward instead instead of it sagging and then moving kind of forward and having that like power loss feeling Mm. so that's basically what it is it's just using chain tension to pull the suspension out to make it extend yeah um the inverse is that like you know low like you know you can actually get Um, pedal sag which is like the opposite of anti-squat which will actually do the opposite It will pull your your pedals uh, sorry it'll make the suspension compress when you pedal so that's what anti-squat does basically you at the exact moment that your center of gravity or your weight wants to move back over the back wheel the suspension kind of tries to extend can't extend because there's weight on it and you move forward and the problem genius it is good, but it, the problem is it's not a it's not a it's not it's not no, it's solved not perfect, because yeah. the thing is you you know then you add a guy who's like but that's it, super no, like it's heavy and like pedals badly yeah, uh, or he's super light and pedals super too hard too many variables so it will it will help in some regard but it's not a completely flawless situation and then the other problem is with high anti squats you get um, high pedal, pedal feedback pedal feedback yeah so that which is the inverse now you're feeling bumps through the pedals because your your chain is actually growing as you go over bumps and that'll only really be noticeable if you ride like up a single track with like very choppy like roots or something and you, and you kind of start feeling your your pedals pull backwards hmm. um, it's also the effect like if you've dropped a bike and you've heard your cassette engage for a yep. second yes, that's yeah. basically what anti-squat's doing it's like for a second your chain tried to grow
0: but your cassette engaged hmm. um, so yeah that's anti-squat <laughs> So now that you're thoroughly confused, <laughs> when you changed roles or moved into to line full-time, mm. I mean, you, your dad had been working on it for some time, You know, was this a case of going with the open mould option, if there is such a thing? Because it started with dropper seatposts, yes, correct? Yes, yes. It, was this a case of saying, this exists, we don't need to, we can reskin this, and by removing all of the people in the chain to get to the end user we can now bring something to market that we know works as reliable and we're able to do it at a more affordable price because of all of these people that are cut out of the loop um, with the intention to to go into redesigning things from scratch Mm -hmm. how how did it start and why did it start with dropper seat posts because (laughs) I still find it quite hard to convince many middle aged men in lycra that a dropper seat post is absolutely what they need improve their overall riding experience Mm -hmm. and so was that did you feel quite a ballsy move were you confident that droppers were going to go in the direction they were
1: yeah okay so so to answer your question there it was i got a bit lucky like i got i got into the position where i was just timing was just perfect because the factory that makes our droppers was playing around with their own sort of open model product and was sending out samples trying to get like feedback and Design improvements from like product managers and designers at different bike brands or different companies. So, like putting things out, and I was like, got, got a hold of the product, it was okay, like it needed some work. Um, dealt with them, helped them improve the product, and then basically based our business off that product. Um, with the intention, as you say, to start customizing more and start moving into more sort of in, like in house design product. Um, so that worked out perfectly because there was a chance for me to also put a bit of my input into it to help them improve. They were happy with the fact that I was giving them, you know, design advice and and getting involved in the design process. Um, and then we moved on from there. And then the second thing, and that's where my dad comes into this whole thing is he, he was always wanting a dropper post. But the thing is, he was like, they're way too expensive. They break all the time. Mm -hmm there is no parts available like people don't back the product up there's a whole lot of um problems with this thing and it was always one of those like real novelty things um and yeah so he was like you know he heard about me experimenting with these posts from this factory and he was like oh that's so cool like you know can't we get hold of these things like silverback didn't want to sell components like that was why we did this thing without you know kind of feeling that we were going to damage Silverback or do any damage to the brand and that's, that was like important to me because I didn't want to take away sales like I didn't want to go try and start a bike brand and just compete with them mm. you know like that. I didn't feel like that was the right thing to do so I wanted to, to get involved in something in the bike industry that wasn't going to have an effect on Silverback so I could you know walk away with a clear conscience that I didn't um, cause the brand any harm um, but yeah he was like oh you know like I want one of those like can't you get can't you get more like my friends want them like this is this is this is the product and I was like okay cool you know this if you're so confident with that and your friends are so amped on it and like and and looking at it while he'd been shopping around like that, he, you know he couldn't find something that would tick all the boxes we were like yeah this is a good product to start and um, we had lots of ideas we were like you know looking at all sorts of stuff but that was the that was the one where my old man was like this is the one we should launch with this mm. um, so I'm yeah visionary yeah, no, he's uh, he. I owe a lot to him, and and also the one to be like, I'm gonna put my retirement money and bank on the fact that you know what you're doing. No you pressure, know. mate. Yeah, that's where <laughs> a lot of the pressure comes, from. But at the same time, he's uh, backed me all the way. He's uh, you know he's he's involved every day. He he's the background and the organised part of line components. Where I'm the disorganised, creative one. He's the one that he's the glue that keeps it all together. And yeah. He's the he's the, the strategic thinker, should I say?
0: And how how's the dropper evolved? So first version, version one of of your dropper to to what it is now? Because all of your droppers are cable actuated, mm-hmm. so no hydraulics, which I think's bloody fantastic. Very good. Yeah. Um, but you've it's now now there's a cartridge system that you're using. And one mm. thing that I've really enjoyed about uh, about using your components is there. Easy to understand, and if you're brave enough, you can maintain them yourself. Yeah, yeah. um, which is uh, which is a big plus in my book. But I mean, I'm talking at the consumer end now. But in terms of the development of the product and the changes, Mm. what are the differences, and how has it evolved from what it was to what it is now?
1: So the external dropper changed a lot, but the main, the internal dropper and the cartridge and stuff hasn't changed much over the years. That's also why, like, it's it's not. It was always good. It's never really, uh, you know, had, had niggles. Like, the main thing is that the cartridge is not made in-house by the factory that manufactures our dropper. That's made by a massive factory that makes gas springs for, like, all sorts of automotive stuff and whatever. And that's the big thing. Like, Shock's still, to this day, struggles because they try and make their cartridge internals themselves. Whereas ours is outsourced to a very, very specialist factory. So that we won't change because it's just the it's the it's the simplest way. It keeps costs down. It, it makes it reliable. The things we've improved on are things like the lever actuation, um, looking at like just finishes and all of that. And then the latest version has been adding bushings and just fine tuning. Mm-hmm. But in in general, it's it's the sort of the same principle. But that's that's been the main thing. Is it's also just like. How can we improve the setup of this product? And then half of the problem with setting up the product was the way that you had to crimp the cable inside the lever or at the dropper, depending on the lever we had at the time. But I wanted to like standardize it that everything gets crimped at the lever, that the installation process is much simpler using it, the lever feel is much smoother because it's got a cam Im- incorporated in it. So it wasn't like... We didn't start out with a bad product, so we didn't have to go through a like, very big redesign process you know
0: and having and having a, a factory that was so like invested into that process of developing it must have been quite unusual i would imagine in in terms of finding a supplier i mean i i, I don't know I, I just simply don't know but perhaps i'm wrong where you know it would normally be the situation of you know you come up with a design you approach a factory that you Mm. know works in the space and then try and get them on board to take Mm. you on yeah yeah. because they're probably already busy yeah yeah. and if they think that what you're doing has potential then they'll take you on yes whereas this was a case of like these guys are proactively looking for a solution that fast track your fast track your process like Mm. when like from when you started that process to to actually launching to market what was your turnaround there
1: yeah, so the, the thing is with them is that they, I mean, they, as much as they were happy that I gave them sort of design feedback and help with the development of the product, they, they were also very skeptical of the fact that we like some new no-name brand in South Africa, you know, and I'm like, hey, it's me, you know me, and they're like, yes, but I don't know your, your new company. So it's been a challenge and it always still remains being a challenge because they still, they manufacture now like many brands dropper posts around the world um and uh and so they you know we're still a small sort of fish in their big pond so it it does it it is a challenge but they've 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 been we've had our we've bumped heads but we <laughs> we work together now um but yeah that's it's been an interesting one
2: and other products that you develop at LAN, what are some of the ones that really get you stoked. And sure. Up.
1: So yeah, the I mean the main th- like if you if you probably looked in sort of in my career and and then line components is the the main thing is probably the holy rail, mm. because still now, it's not really. There's nobody copied it. We yeah. thought we thought this is going to be the one product where we're going to have we're going to we're going to launch it and some other big brands just going to copy it and sell it. Mm. And it's funny like. We feel really proud of that product, especially like the dual cage kit is so loved say, by let's, let's many. Genius, Take it yeah. a step
0: back. What is the holy rail?
1: Okay. So the holy rail is a little, uh, little rail that you mount onto your bottle cage buses, which allows you to reposition your water bottle or your bottle cage and then add accessories and basically reorganize the inside of your front triangle of your frame, um, which often wasn't very solved or was trying from the bike brands would try their best but they you know there's so many different accessories and things out there so this thing basically you bolt it on it looks like a tiny little track with little nuts that slide up and down and then you fix your products where you need them to be and and, uh, then we developed a whole bunch of accessories that bolt onto there
0: but you can also go, I mean, in some cases, if it's, I think, a large frame up, you can then go from a single bottle a bottle to a dual bottle yes, um, yeah, yeah. configuration, so you're yeah. getting kind of bottles off your seat posts, which yeah. enables people to then ride with dropper posts. That's exactly it, yeah. at um, I mean, it in Joburg, he wouldn't ride a dropper because his bottle cage
2: was on a seat yeah. post. I said, well get holy rail (laughs) yeah it solves (laughs) the problem problem. no
1: that was it Uh, it was that was one of the things that we noticed when we were selling droppers guys they're like oh i don't want to buy one because it has a thing so you know it has a bottle cage on it so yeah that product was huge man it was like a lot of work we knocked it out fast like i think we smashed it in eight months like from end to end oh wow which was quick i went like flat out on that i was like convinced that you know, when people have good ideas that somebody else is also working on it. So mm-hmm. I was like, paranoid. I was you like, we've got to, to get this thing out. Like, course. it's got to go. Um, yeah, and then we made the, the, the more specific one, the dual cage kit, which, which only, only works on specific bikes. Mm-hmm. Like, a great example is a Giant Anthem where it works on all sizes or a Scott Spark on a large upwards. That's, that changes the game for a lot of people like absolutely when, when we were watching the epic prologue just to see that like nearly every anthem had a jewel cage on it like anyone in the prologue with an anthem they somehow and some guys even from like other countries um, had a holy they, rail jewel yeah, cage yeah they're jewel cage kits so, I mean some of them had bought them like literally come into our office and said we we've seen your product we need to fit it the week before epic we're- we're flying in on this date. can we come in? will you fit them?
2: That is so rad. that's so cool
1: yeah so before sort of sort of for marathon riding that it's become like quite a hit, and i mean mm-hmm. we we're dispatching still now we're dispatching on most days more than one a day internationally, so
0: that's so cool
1: they just tick over like we just they just sell and we just keep making them and the triangle box is the second most popular one, kind of like a somewhat like a specialized SWAT box thing but something that works on most bikes and mm. isn't and specifically. that's on the rail too yeah 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 and um, i've actually just submitted a, a new uh, updated version of that but yeah that product is the is the for, for us is the is the one that we feel like you know it's like the product we invented mm. you know? Yeah. everything else we competing with other people with that one it's still there's nobody else mm. and uh
0: another aspect i love about the holy rail is that it takes tools out of your pockets yeah no, which is the a real plus uh, yeah i mean i've i've not got the triangle box but i've got the i don't know what the correct term is for that like fold over kit. i mean in there i'm running two full-size bombs tie levers uh, a little rider tool that's used for valves mm. um, valve repair chain links even though i've got a in case. In case on, <laughs> yeah. on the steerer tube. It really is. That, funny enough, that product,
1: the, the in case, was uh, was like got my. That was like the first taste of like something completely unique and then the thrill of seeing people adopt it and like be happy with it. it was, but at the same time, the, the, I look at when I designed that, I was like so amped and like kind of all of that. And then when I when you start getting more and more complex with the product, the more and more headaches they bring. Yes. Like, we're, we're, the next one I was going to say is the Shred Zeppelin. Yes. Which has
2: taken years of my life, that product. Has that been. Uh, uh, I remember it's, I'd been riding with it for a few weeks. So I was like, Dale, these are all the things Like I think you could tweak on the yeah. Shred Zeppelin. You're like, not now. <laughs> yeah, jeez, man. it was, and, and that product, I had the
1: stock for eight months at the office before we sold a single one because there were problems with the product that was delivered and we had to change O-rings because of the tolerances I and, remember then, that. and then we, everything was working smoothly and then we got feedback from the market that certain brand bombs out there like and you don't think about these things but you know you you go to a shop and you in Cape Town and you just buy like a Rider bomb or a Crank Brothers or whoever makes these bombs, Lezyne or whatever and they're good bombs but then there's guys who are just flooding the market with like cheap Chinese bombs that have got these weird concaved tops to them that don't follow any standards and now like people are like complaining the product doesn't punch a deep enough hole it's not like putting enough pressure out so we had to do like a running change of changing pins and then they were just nightmares man and, and you know the, when it's a small little company like us when it's a running change it's like me and my mom doing yeah. the running change so it's like us sitting there for hours after hours like punching out pins, putting the new pins in putting in the new o-ring swapping this you know like we we're a small team and we we mostly try and bring in product that's finished to to try not to have like loads of staff which ultimately cost the consumer money Mm -hmm. but so when these kind of problems happen with the product it's just like you know then it's just literally me and
0: my family fixing it
1: (laughs) (laughs) so that's the thing
0: uh, one aspect i've always found curious when you and i've had conversations about it is i'm i'm always the guy that's saying you really should patent this you know, and your response is generally nah we just like we've got to keep on innovating faster than anyone else does um, yeah and now you know going through the process of applying for patents myself and trademarks i <laughs> i uh I can relate because it's not a <laughs> it's not a cheap process, and no. damn, it takes a long time. And focusing on innovation is is a is a soul for that. How how effective has that been for you guys in, on constantly focusing on ways of innovating? And I would say it's probably not just from a product point of view, but it's also you know route to market in many respects. Absolutely, you you it's it's how you you unpack that aspect of the business.
1: Yeah, you know, the funny thing is, like, I I've lately for a while now I've been very very quiet on like a lot of things like social media and all sorts of stuff like toned back marketing that you know there was a lot of discovery and a lot of stress through lockdown and we had some real like close call problems with cash flow because we had placed a lot of orders just as lockdown happened and it was quite stressful because there was a lot of money out of the bank and we st- still had to pay the bills and everything so i s i it got me and and I started before that already a lot more focusing on the innovation of how the business runs internally rather than focusing on too much innovation rather like trying to sell out some of the or sell through some of the products that we had innovated on and take a breather on innovation um and just rather make like fix all the little niggles with the business and just make sure that we're like on point again with you know as we grew you know sometimes things get messy so we wanted to like fix up and focus on the business and, and i had to learn also a lot about finances and the effect that they have and that you know i was completely clueless i've always known product and all of that but I, i've never been involved in the finance side of it like silverback that was all covered you know mm. we just had to worry about products and marketing whereas it's all intrinsically linked to the finance side of things so that's been the main thing is really like innovating, oh, I wouldn't say innovating, but like just making sure that the business stays, um, you know, like core, true to its core values, which is offering good value. And, you, and to offer good value, your business has to be working efficiently and has to be, you know, spending carefully and employing cleverly. And, you know, those kind of things are all a part of it that people don't see. You know, they just see a product and then they like, that's the price. It's it's all linked to all of these little things you know in the beginning it was fine because it was just you know we were just selling blindly and we're like this is the price we wanted to hit but then when you realize whoa hells I'm going to run this thing into the ground if I don't you know cut back on spending or make sure that there's enough margin here to actually survive mm. um, or negotiate better pricing so the consumer doesn't see a price increase it's those things all in, uh, you know linked together and then yeah there there has been um, sort of we are working on some stuff um, for the future but it's, we're not pushing too many fancy things at the moment, it's more just like tweaks to stuff and like making sure that we, we still stay you know, true and don't just lift our pricing, that's the main thing
0: How have you managed to maintain despite the growth uh, such a solid level of, of customer service? In my travels I've not heard of anyone that's had a product of yours that that hasn't been unhappy and and i mean look stuff happens mm, you know for sure. wheels wheels lose shape and hubs explode those that's natural part of this there these are it's mechanics it's just yeah, yeah, what happens sure, sure. uh, and i'm um, i'm the type of person that buys on service yes of yes. course quality is important but i'm um, i'm generally someone that buys based on on the service i'm going to receive when things go wrong because regardless of what you spend whether you're buying right at the top end something will go wrong yeah whether you're buying at the low end something will go wrong it's more just the time frame in which it takes to go wrong Mm. ultimately it comes down to how the how the brand's going to help you out yeah customer services seem to be a real focus of yours despite you guys not really actually Positioning that is a brand strength, yeah, yeah. is that just uh, something you've quietly chiseled away at in the background, making sure that you know if things go wrong that yeah. you are there to support swap out yeah get absolutely
1: it right? I think that, that a lot of that comes from my dad um he's he's always things always been from the beginning like he's like just customer service customer service like if you've got a list of things to do, if customer service is involved, that's the most important, like everything else can wait so that's that's been uh i think it's just a like i mean that's how he is
0: and he's taught me to be like that and and that's how we try and approach it with business and stuff um how much support do you get on a factory level there sorry to jump in so for example if it's a mechanical issue um and i mean do you have that type of relationship where it's like this is a clear factory yeah yeah and then they have they're equally responsible or yeah. how yeah, do you structure that it's, that, it's uh,
1: difficult sometimes uh, depending on the factory some guys like take full responsibility and they're like they're pretty pretty good with it you know sometimes a lot of the time it's debatable what went wrong you know like sometimes it's like the factory's like rad it broke but you designed it so why didn't you make the wall thicker there or whatever and it's like uh, yeah that's also true <laughs> uh, you know so it's it's uh, they, If it's like, oh, okay, they, you know, whatever. Like, we, for example, we had a bunch of Shred Zeppelins where they pressed in pin skew. Cool, the pins are skewed. You did it wrong. Replace it. Okay. I
2: did not design them this way.
1: <laughs> yeah, whereas the the part where we did the pin update to punch deeper holes, the factory's going to be like, get out of here. You, the thing's exactly like you designed it. Did, don't, don't come try and claim stuff from us. So, yeah, they, they are, you know... Asian factories are remarkably good at that. Like, I think a lot of people are always like, oh, you know, you just get this cheap stuff out of Taiwan and China. And you're like, it's not like that. Mm-hmm. They are like, they're very proud of their name. A lot of these people have been manufacturing for 20, 30, 40 years. And they're not going to just throw their name down the toilet like that. So they do back us up. Um, but back to your original point is, is it's more just like not counting pennies and trying to, and, mm. and you know if we have a cracked rim for example and we see it and it's two years old and it's out of warranty but i see this is definitely maybe a heat treatment issue i'm going to replace it not with no cost to the customer because the thing is why like if i if i would bought that rim i'd wanted to last more than two years even if the warranty said one and I've had the dealings with that with other brands, with other sports that I've done. You know, for example, like if you a good example, I had a kiteboard that I bought from a guy who had never used it. It was brand new. The kiteboard delaminated in a year. I contacted the brand. They said, oh, well, it's it's just out of warranty and you're not the first owner, so sorry. I can't help you. And I was like, dudes, that's not how you... Like, I literally made a point of like, if I ever start a brand, that's not how I'm going to do business. Mm-hmm. You know, Um so yeah i mean oftentimes we don't you don't ask for proof of purchases like i can see the generation of the product i can see it's well looked after or whatever and it might be our failure then replace it you know people make mistakes like you just gotta i'm talking about ourselves but like you just gotta make sure that you give the customer the best service and that's when you say that like the you know i make a very big point of if there's like the guys at bike hub have been really good with that they they kind of if somebody's trash talking our brand on bike hub or that really hasn't happened that much but if they say oh well i bought this and it didn't last they often pop me a message on whatsapp and they're like hey listen there's a guy here and i go into bike hub and i dm him and i try and get his phone number and i try and phone him and i say like hey what happened like can we give you something new to solve the problem or fix your problem or whatever you've done or understand if it was a failure on their part how they how they did it and maybe give them 50% off a replacement product or something because uh, you know as we grow it will it'll be impossible to do that but it, for now it's it's a personal thing you know that's basically putting your name on something and you take it personally and uh yeah i mean those are the kind of things that li- literally keep me up at night like when you start selling more volumes more things fail and mm. you gotta you got to try and keep your hand on that
0: this conversation is very interesting to me because it's a subject I'm interested in but everything you've been talking about today is, has always been well a lot of what we've talked about today has been very consumer centric mm. so as a brand you guys are consumer centric direct to consumer good value high quality good backup service people focused because that's who drives your business. Mm. That is, in my view, unusual in the South African landscape of brands in the cycling space. Yeah, Brands are traditional in the sense that they are brand centric. What can we do to get the most out of this market so our business can grow? Yeah. And the fact that you've come in with that consumer centric approach has been has been disruptive. Is that something that you've noticed through how your consumers go about buying your products? Was it early adoption and it just flew? Or was it a case of early adoption because people are inquisitive and then it flatlined for a bit and then it picked up? Or has it been a case of it kind of yeah, flew and just hasn't really slowed down? Because I think from a consumer's point of view it's it's almost a like a too good to be true kind of situation yeah, yeah. where you're like this dropper seat post costs me 7000 rand and it's got a 1 year warranty. Yeah. yeah. But your dropper seat posts cost less than half of that. Yeah. And it's got a 1 year warranty and we know that if there is a real mechanical failure that is manufacturing related a year after that you're going to stand by your product and sort it out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is that something that you've you've actively noticed? is that feedback that consumers have given you that they enjoy that approach Yes uh, yeah absolutely I mean
1: we we owe a lot to biCub um, not just their establishment but the people in the forums um just like spreading the word because we've had tons of customers like going on there and be like just start their own forum topic and say like can't believe like literally I had a problem with my product it was solved so well that I'm going to go and take time out of my day and talk about it on a forum and that is you know it's the way that I look at it sometimes when you take the hit and you're like oh you know technically another brand wouldn't have you know taken the hit to the company of the cost of replacing it free of charge or whatever but I, I often see it as like marketing you know that gonna go tell his friends completely. Um, and the thing that I've seen a lot is, you do that to that guy, you help him out, you give them the best service possible, and then they come back and they spend a whole lot more with you in three years' time. So it might not see. It's not a short-term gain. Like mm. you know, it's you a could consistency be like, yeah, you, know, you could be like, oh yes, you know, saved five hundred Rand and I told him to go somewhere else. And then. <laughs> He's never going to spend with you again. And that's where we're just like, no, whatever. That's that's money. It's marketing money. He'll go tell his friends and his friends will buy something from us. And it'll equal out eventually and whatever. And it's, But it's never been like a written down thing. It's more just like, as I said, a moral thing. Like that's how my dad and I roll. That's how he has always been and how... I think it's, you know, your morals come through in your business while you're still small. Yes, when you get bigger, everything, you know, you have to try and instill those morals in other people, but for well, now...
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It starts to become more of a cultural and a, and a people thing and how you choose the people that join your business that that will determine how effective you are at maintaining that yeah, approach. absolutely. Which is tricky. Then, like, the HR conversation, yeah. I'm get, turning grey just thinking about that. Absolutely. And, and having been part of a business that transitioned and in terms of its culture... In, in, uh, it's not the same business that when I Red Bull when I left five years ago, yeah. what it was then to, and what it was five years before that to when I left, and and what it is now. It's it's chalk and cheese, and ultimately, what stayed the same, the brand is the brand. Yeah, the people have changed, yeah. and I guess that's the, the one of the challenges of scale within any company.
1: Absolutely, mm. and then you get the, the other massive challenge is that you, when you start doing multinational selling you basically are entrusting your brand in some other distributor who could
0: be a complete asshole could be using it and to disrupt uh, the market at low price with bad service and absolutely. now that's how your brand's positioned it's i mean you can you know that in this market
1: i'm not going to mention names there are a few distributors who are just like do the strangest things with the brands that they represent Yes. and, uh, and uh, you know and it's like, and you and you know although they they rely they like they have such strong brands that they
0: hold well, they, that sell themselves they're purely distribution and sales that's really that's all that they are they don't understand the value of brand they don't understand the value of being consumer centric yeah. and the value that you will generate as a business by investing in educating your market yeah they yeah. see their market as retailers the yeah. market isn't retailers. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. the market is the person that's gonna buy it from the retailer. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And it's a significant shift in thinking that's going to not just, it's not, it's not going to change in, in South Africa in the distributors' mindsets um, mm. because it's something that they wake up to one day. It's going yeah. to change because they're forced into that space by a change in consumer spending habits. Yeah. And we're seeing more and more people moving to the direct to consumer model yeah. brands because they see the value that's there. There's a lot more information that they can seek out to learn about how to do things for themselves as opposed to and and there start to ask questions of 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 certain brands that are whether they're subsidiaries or through distribution and asking the questions on like why is this the way that it is and surely there is a better way yeah and i think that there are opportunities around that for both Mm. the distributors who are currently following the, the the route to market that they do and the positioning that they that they that they Hold, yeah. It's it's going to be a very interesting time. I feel that COVID has disrupted everything. Absolutely. But COVID has is, is disrupted it in in a shorter period of. Everything's accelerated, but in some cases, I feel that COVID's also put a patch on a lot of trends that were very clearly starting to build momentum pre-COVID in mm. in how people were buying stuff. You know, Pre-COVID, in my view, in in many cases in South Africa, you know, bike. Distributors, brands—however you want in, in, in my my overview of it is that they've never ultimately ended up having to sell anything. The consumer-driven demand has been so high that yeah. if you simply brought it in, people would buy it. Yeah. Pre-COVID, at least three to four years pre-COVID, we started to see that change, where some distribution companies did start to invest in being Absolutely. more consumer-centric and being more brand-focused and and, and not direct to consumer. No distribution companies, the, those that that still really focus on the retail space, and they started to become clearly more dominant yeah, in the build-up to COVID. COVID's come in, and it's almost levelled the playing field again because yeah. you can only buy it's what's available. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. so, and that's what I mean uh, yeah. by the patch now everyone feels that oh no, you know that traditional approach of just you know put it out there at a at a store and someone's going to buy it is kind of yeah. crept in in many respects. Yeah, I think that, that that's going to wear off in 12 months once yeah. it, once COVID is out of here and it's going to get it's back going to, to be being competitive. Opposite. So it's it's going going 20, to be 2023,
1: there's going to be so many bikes that you, people are going to be marketing like crazy, crazy. to try and just completely...
2: <laughs> just get a little bit of the market. Yeah, like yeah. they're going to be
1: begging consumers to buy their stuff because <laughs> there's, there's going to be... Right now, there's no bikes, but let me tell you, every bike brand in the world has like three times the normal order Put those orders into the factory, and then they're all going to get them at the same time.
0: And from there, <laughs> what what are people going to base their purchasing decisions on? Yeah, but this isn't an innovative conversation that we're having right now. This isn't an yeah. innovative view that I'm putting out there now. What are people going to buy on brand and value proposition? Yeah, that's it. And, and their the brand I and mean, previous brand experience with that brand or whatever. You know, absolutely, it's all part of the ecosystem. And and those that are going to come out of this streaks ahead of everyone else are those that are taking the risk so to speak or that's at least how they view it and in investing into building brand mm-hmm. and connecting with consumers and building that relationship even though they don't have stock to sell yeah. it's still such a valuable time to be connecting and creating those relationships with people For and sure. I feel that you guys have managed to do that despite limited stock and availability and production and shipping costs increasing and you know all of these cash flow challenges that you faced mm. as a small business kudos
1: thank you yeah it's been a it's been a wild ride but there are some ups there are some luckily exchange rates and things are trying are now somewhat stabilizing but yeah the, this covid thing has been hectic it was uh it was uh, let me tell you like during lockdown we were like my dad and i on skype every day just like what's the plan <laughs> is this a sustainable thing like is the world uh, going to be able to sustain bike in bicycle industry as it was before because we you know basing our opinions on if all the CEOs and all of the people who have businesses themselves are going to be losing jobs and shutting their businesses we won't have people to sell to so we were seriously worried you know we thought yo you know this this whole the party's over with the bike industry and being able to sell things at certain prices, and and will there still be an industry after it? And then, completely to our the surprise, opposite. the boom. Happened. Yeah, cycling was one of the first things that, they, at least in South Africa, that allowed you to do, and all of a sudden everybody, were was just went out and bought bikes, and like, so good to see, man. Like people coming into our office all shapes and sizes different races different ages whole crews of buddies coming in saying we just bought hardtails and somebody (laughs) said that we have to buy droppers posts and (laughs) we just which one works on all of these bikes like buying a handful of droppers then coming in like six weeks later saying like yo those hardtails weren't great we sold them and we bought full suspension (laughs) bikes and now we've got now we need wider handlebars and we're like, okay, cool, here's a fair reward handlebars. And, like, just stoke people on, like, learning about cycling, getting into the sport. It's um, fantastic. Yeah, That's so that cool, and you're on cool, the ground, man. like, there to just see Yeah, those, like, guys happening. literally bringing their buddies in and then, like, whatsapping each other photos in, in the office like oh, dude do you want one as well like should we all buy them and like just the stoke level of figuring out cycling and stuff and then going out and seeing them outside like complete puzzlers like <laughs> Amazing. just like jamming it like going down to Kai for the first time just like, having, but just having the best time all covered in dust because they've all crashed about 10 times it's so fun being a puzzler though <laughs> in that the beginning so cool. that's, yeah just
0: that's, like that's, full that's, stoke that's what it's about it's a journey of discovery and it's not just mountain biking it's trail running triathlon surf has just again exploded yeah, for sure. it's uh, it's really great to see that revival yeah. I'm not sure if we've touched on it in podcast before but about the forming of habits that it takes between anywhere between 3 to 6 months sometimes up to a year depends on the person but the fact that COVID has been around for over a year and the changes that people have made in their lifestyles, you know, from getting off the couch potentially to cycling or trail running or to surfing, whatever their vice now is, mm. it's not a fad change, it's a habitual change, and mm, that yeah. it's going to continue on. I'm really optimistic and excited to see how things continue. Yeah, how the momentum of that habitual change goes. And it's yeah. not just the people that are doing it now, and I think about this because I'm a dad, but how that will pass on down the line, where mm. families have gone from the most part inactive and relatively unhealthy to completely change it's mm. I, I, I'm really I, I know everyone is looking forward to to life post COVID and and see how that uh, that positive momentum oh. continues yes. it's mm. it's really exciting so you talk now guys heading into your shop and or at least into the office and getting a drop seat post and then coming back for handlebars and so mm. on talk us through very quickly top line what are the products in your line range what what all of them? Well, we've yeah we've talked about the Nana hammock, but yeah. I'd say I'd say the, the 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 products that would differentiate you from others. I mean, drop a seat post you've start there started yes. there, but I mean your wheel sets, for example, yeah. are incredibly good value. They're lightweight, they're robust. Um, mm. You've introduced carbon there, for example. What other products are there in your range? Because you can yes, for the most uh, part yeah. accessorize your bike with almost everything except braking, suspension, and tires.
1: Yeah yeah. Yeah, so we do handlebars and stems, um, drop a seat post. So it's sort of the control parts. Um, cranks. We've had a bit of a break on the cranks. Like, I mean, people that have that know our brand have seen that we've probably been out of stock for eight months. But that's that's for, that's. Uh, for a good reason, we we've changed factories. We've got some new cranks coming out next month, which are going to be super cool, like really cool cranks. You're gonna love them, They'll be rad. Come on, some short, short length, super short length enduro cranks as well. How old um, length some really one sixty five. Okay. So um also some actually looking at some. We have found some ways to make m- make even cheaper for the consumer. So we're probably going to have a crankset that that's even better priced. So, yeah, um, go right. against the whole thing that it's, you know, the times are tough rather. Like, let's see if we can disrupt more and, and actually bring a product out cheaper than it was before. That's really Instead exciting. of uh, going more expensive. So, let, let's see. But, uh, yeah, so cranks is one of them that we've been doing over time. We're not going to be doing carbon cranks anymore. That's just... We've just realised it's not the way we want to be. It's be like Shimano, just don't do carbon. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a long story there, but they—they just—they just—they're in the—they're a, a product where carbon fibre is not based in a good place. You know, it's mm-hmm. flying past rocks and mm-hmm. roots and things all the time, and there's a good chance it's going to, at some point, impact that stuff. And even though, even if it doesn't touch it, your pedals are touching those things, putting sharp impacts through, um, through a, a product that's. Ultimately would be better in aluminium. So yeah, it's just uh, in terms of like dealing with warranties and failures because of people Smashing them into stuff. It's just rather Get away from the stress of that (laughs) And then wheels yeah wheels have been an interesting one We've evolved a lot over the time with our wheel sets They're like they're constantly evolving and I've learned a lot um, Just in terms of like what what makes a good rim and what doesn't, and what and learning what people's expectations are. You know, when we started off with wheels, we were like, we want to have, like, the lightest wheels out there in aluminium. And now I'm like looking at what are what's the heaviest wheel set I can make. Uh, you know, because I I want to make something that's ready for e-bikes, ready for the stupid stuff we're doing in in enduro and downhill yeah. right now. And hmm so you know we're that's not not out yet but that's one of the things i'm working on is like extremely tough wheels that where weight isn't at all the priority it's like looking at cad fea analysis to make them as strong as possible so yeah that's that's i'm sorry i've got a bit of topic there but yeah basically control parts wheels cranks those are the main sort of things we do there and then we we started with the range of accessories like things we consider accessories which are we don't do the the typical accessories like you know we don't do water bottles or you know whatever like silly things pumps for your bike or whatever we'll let brands that do those well do those Um, you know we might do a water bottle for promotional purposes at some point but basically we're not trying to do you know for example like Ryder does an amazing job at offering a whole lot of accessories there's no point in us trying to, to get involved in competing with that kind of thing. They've they've got it covered. I'm not super passionate about that. I'm I'm more passionate about the you know, the the, the performance product on your bike. Not to say that they don't make performance products. Um, but yeah or doing an accessory that's truly innovative. Like so the the Shred Zeppelin being the Shred Zeppelin which we haven't explained was basically a an all in one tubeless repair solution. Um it looks like a CO2 bomb, but you can unscrew it and it's got basically a CO2 regulator, um, a, a tubeless plug, and a valve core remover all in one, and, and tubeless plug storage. And yeah, just little things like the CO2 bracket, you know, that that for me, is, I'm still quite proud of that product, you know, for years we have those horrible steel brackets on everybody's bikes and nobody thought to redesign it, so it was like, let's, you know, let's do a proper little CNC bracket, and that's that's been... Um, working quite well for us so yeah that's that's the main range we aren't aren't going to be changing it too much in the future um but there, i mean there is one massive project that i'm working on but that's still going to be a year and a half or so and that's super confidential which i can't talk about
0: (laughs) in the next episode (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: we'll talk about it in a year and a half and uh, either it's going to be like a one of those things where it just like, oh my gosh, that might have been the biggest failure of my life, or it might be the one that put us on the map. Uh, oh, wow! We'll I feel like that you're on the a, map already. Maybe important. in a different, no, different, different space. Like like, s- oh wow! Space. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We're we'll, still very early days. That's um, exciting. But that, yeah, that's that's only recently in the last couple of weeks become a thing. So,
2: hmm. good yeah. times. We'll so, definitely yeah. pop a link in the in the podcast description so people can go and check out all the all the good things. Yeah. Yeah, the products. and start a forum of uh, people guessing at what your grand sure. uh, masterpiece is going to be. <laughs> no, I know. Apple hammock. Oh no. uh, that's <laughs> the one, eh? Not hammock. <laughs>
0: yeah, So we sure. we leading into the podcast, uh, we asked our following Ooh. if they would like <laughs> to submit questions to ask of, of Dale, and we've had uh, multiple submissions, some of which are censored. But J Dog, take it away. What have we got? What do you the gotta people want? you got to say the
1: censored ones, but just censor them. I don't think what I, do s- the I can see say? all the censored ones. Uh,
2: I'm, I'm ones? spicing it up. Did you see no. ones that I Okay, seen. okay. Anyway. I well, they're mostly questions friends. that I want to ask. But well, then you're welcome to fire them up. asks, how do you cutty? Do Oh, Dyson. Dyson should work at Line Components. He actually, he's you guys uh, will never about? get
0: anything done.
1: <laughs> it doesn't matter it's Ricky's (laughs) problem right now I'd enjoy so it's fine but uh, he's he is a good friend and he's young and he 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 does lots of research for me so I know what's up and current and whatever he's always like have you seen this sends me this sends me that Uh, just giving people mullet bikes just just, sorry mullet bikes mullet mullet bikes just just uh, (laughs) just to give people background of who's asking the question so Dyson is a, a good friend good riding buddy often involved in a lot of actual decision making in terms of Products and stuff, um, and yeah, how do you Go, Tyson? I've taught you to cuddy, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you just turn into a corner, and when your bike starts to slide out, you hope that the berm's going to catch you. Beautiful. And then it does nine times out of ten.
2: <laughs> Poetry. <laughs> Tyler Flanagan asked, "What is it like starting up line, or what was it like starting up line, and what were the main challenges that you faced?" I feel like we've covered quite a bit of that sure yeah the no, that's a lot of the stuff we've talked
1: about um but good question and uh, he's so a good tyler's a good kid as yeah. well he's uh, he's just got himself into the bike industry um yeah, yeah the challenges are it's, he rips yeah he does rip yeah, and too. he's approved a lot eh? he's like he's really come up um yeah challenges are like a lot of things financial is difficult you need you need a decent amount of money um if I'm talking about like, from, from like giving advice to someone like Tyler, it's you know, work in the industry before you start your own thing. Mm. Uh, make sure you do that. Yeah, like, at low uh, risk, get and get yeah, get an idea of what's how it works and what goes on there. Yeah, and if you are interested in developing stuff and and you know working and designing and things like that, then definitely study industrial design. Like it's one course that you can see you know a lot of people out there like Mark Hopkins for example is an industrial designer This, and he helped like starting Pyga and brands like Liat and C6 is his main thing now and he's busy designing bikes for He's overseas um, you know there, there are a lot of good industrial designers locally and yeah so industri- industrial design is a good course for people who want to start things like line components and gives you a good backing of design but also understanding a little bit about
2: business and mm. things like that Speaking of business, Bryce Betendach asked, What would you say your key learning is when running a business? And what your advice would be to a young businessman. Sure, yeah, that's man. a good question. Bryce is also a good guy. Um
1: the the thing with it is that understanding uh, for me, it's a little bit different, maybe for everybody, but understanding how important like the relationship between product and and the numbers are. Mm like the intrinsic link between the two of those things because obviously we've spoken long about it like consumer is first and make sure you're giving the best service you can and then the other side of it is your product has to be good and the pricing and the and do you know maybe the the relationship between that and and you know the finances is very important like Because you can easily also offer a great value product and drive your business into the ground and you'll be one of those businesses that closed down Mm. and was like, oh, that was a great brand while they lasted. You know, the brand also has to look after itself internally, Mm. financially, which is something we nearly got wrong. (laughs) Riding the fine line. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that's it.
2: Uh, Not to my dad's discredit, but to me. (laughs) (laughs) He's always been super good with that. Right. Dan Doberson says how do you come up with all these rad new products and what can we expect next? And also says, not a question, but thank you to Lan for keeping our components affordable. Yeah, sure. thanks Dan. Uh sorry, what was this what, what was the you, first how do you come up with all these rad new products and what can we expect? Sure. Next? The, it's tricky. The 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 thing that I've
1: tried to train my brain into doing is that is to just Identify solutions all the time. You know what I mean? If you see, if you s- to try and be like, I've seen, you know, I've seen whatever. Like, for, okay, let's say, example, the jewel cage, the holy rail kit. It's like, I've seen four guys come in and say, I'm not buying a dropper because I, I want to hold on to my seat post mm. bottle cage bosses. And being like, wait, that was three times. There's a product there. And then, like, looking at, is there a viable solution? And then going down the rabbit hole, which often ends up, it's impossible, we'll yeah. cool, move on. But that one was like, whoa, there's actually something here. Mm. That's how you found opportunities. So yeah, that's basically how I've based it, you know, it's like the same thing where we started. Want, want to dro- drop a post, would love one, not going to spend this amount of money, they keep breaking,
2: What's, what can yeah. we offer? How do we make a solution? What can we expect next? Obviously, your top secret. Yeah, thing. so just
1: some, like the main thing that I'm open to talking about is like rims. Been lots of research and and development into a new rim profile mm. that goes past our amp range which is you know like heavy duty amp basically mm. and um as we've spoken i said i said uh, yeah, the, yeah. the what did i call it the the bullproof, the bull-proof. edition <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh yeah because uh, jason will be the first one to Maybe get his hands on there call and, it the bull wheel yeah we'll we'll call it bull, be you well, well we've already got jbo ones we call them we'll call them the amp jb's <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the jason bull i'd be honored signature edition <laughs> yeah that uh and didn't you your, your first? Uh, Were well, your first hack from rock? What did you do? Rock to Ooh, rock and yes. put our rim On first was uh, still to this day the worst line components failed product I think I've ever yeah. seen in my life. I went about three
2: meters to a very sharp rock. Yeah, and it, it was. It, it, you you, you left
1: the shape
0: of the rock in the rim. Yeah, you could it's see. Still there. You can see this what, day. R- what rock I hit. <laughs> <laughs> it has like the profile of the rock. <laughs> but that's not necessarily a failure of. The product that's Jason. It was an error in writing. Taking a yeah. I was offline I shouldn't have been where I was. (laughs) A four by four track. No, maybe that's that's not the correct analogy. No, there's a
1: limit to anything. Exactly. Like if you if you take a four by four and you drive it off a cliff. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Like I did. Something's (laughs) going to break. So. I mean, I'm not, I'm not one of the kind of people that, like, we're realistic about that. Like, every product has a a, limit, a yeah. finite limit, you know. Like, even a downhill bike can snap in half if you send it over a 90-foot thing to flat. You know, it's a... Or a,
0: tee up a tree sideways like Milan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a so, so like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's a limit
1: to things. But obviously, Jason has a knack of um, being very rough on wheels, and he, he's a great guy to test stuff. So Take it's it's off,
0: mostly because he can't route. ride.
2: Yeah, yeah. He's average. To I take too. after Richie Rude. He's also known for breaking everything. That yeah. is a
0: very bold. That's a bold comparison.
2: <laughs> Look, taking after not I don't, doesn't necessarily mean I'm close behind. <laughs> but it's, it's just a similar, a similar trajectory. Don't so be uh, humble, bro. You didn't, shred. You, didn't you also hint at some bars and stems and nice? Fifty mil bit. rise. What? Uh, did we did got some.
1: Say Fifty mil. We yeah, got, we are you got doing ra- 50 ra-
0: rise bars.
2: No, no, we're gonna do thirty mil uh, in thirty-five. Nice. Yeah, so you'll get some of those soon. Eager. Yeah. And eight tens, some. eight tens. I've been reading a lot about eight hundred for now. Eight cents Come on. Yeah, you can been cut been them re- reading a lot about bar height and all you that kind of stuff recently. I t- I just want to experiment and get a feel for Isn't your setup extremely high no, already? It's super slammed. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, but I want to try higher and see. Yeah, I'm just keen to even me. It's just learning all the time about bikes. But you are high. That's what you need. You man. are. I'm looking <laughs> you for. Need you, you need high. high. Yeah. The big on. You need 50 bar, little <laughs> <rise> bars <laughs> with a stack underneath your headset, and then more on top of your headset, and then some bars on top of your bars. Just yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just get some BMX bars, man. Yes, imagine <laughs> we're so doing Doug's textures there I've seen a, a customer bar.
1: buy one of our stems and put BMX bars. I'm not even lying. Hmm. Some old bully Do they fit? Like, and he was like, I've got a bad back. And he... Yeah. BMX Plus? No, no, wait. What did he have? No. What did he have? He had... He somehow wangled it. I can't remember. Th- something 31.8, but like with a crossbar. <laughs> Just so it doesn't do, yeah, like it fold like, like, around. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's I
2: wanted to, to go and tape up the logos on the stem. Because <laughs> <laughs> I like, I can't be associated aside from Sully on the gully asking for you to see and see him vaults uh, I can't see any more questions was that all the controversial stuff or did you see something I
0: didn't see no no I was just having a bit of fun but this <laughs> is Sully. This Sully there was there was a six question six. Uh,
2: in the background <laughs> about uh, how fond you are of brandy and coke yeah that was Mark car he said, he said do you like brandy and coke I said
0: only yes, with we, you only with you
2: Nah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's
1: good
0: well, thanks for joining us today, Dale. I hope that uh, you've had a good time. We've had no, it. It's always cool catching up.
1: Yeah, no, no. Uh, what people don't know is we have these conversations like Normally. deeply for long, many hours uh, uh, on the regular. So, But yeah, most people
2: will be bored by them. Yeah, i was so <laughs> struggling I to, so. to not go off on like 13 different tangents. Yeah, we've, <laughs> we've got loads of,
0: loads of podcasts to come. Uh, I hope that you've enjoyed this in- insightful conversation of what it takes to develop a proudly south african brand and get it to the country and into the hands of consumers in an affordable reliable um, way with great service so well done congrats thank you. i feel like you guys are just getting started really
1: thank you I, I do have one last point
0: yes which i
1: actually really wanted to say on this podcast was just remember and this is to everybody out there that's listening to this just remember that somebody design the product that you use and whatever and when you go out there and you have a problem with it or you don't like it or you don't like that brand don't publicly shame sh- them all over them yeah. get in touch or keep your opinion to yourself like it's from uh, what I've noticed from being around it's like there's so much negativity there's so many pink bike horrible comments there's a lot of people on bike up that are horrible about people's brands, um, and just be kind. You know, it's a, there's a lot of people behind the scenes at all of the different companies that work in South Africa, just trying their best to offer you the best product they can and do honest business. Um, so support, be positive, and uh, and yeah, you know, give those guys credit where it's due. Um, you know, and as I said, just don't don't be negative because there's somebody reading that comment that's going to get a hell of a bummed mm. and often it's somebody like me who's quite sensitive and uh, puts a lot of work into trying to make products for people to use them in a positive light with no intention of negativity yeah so absolutely. That's, the, that's the one thing I, yeah, I could say just to end off this conversation is mm.
2: like support people who are trying to, to make you cool stuff yeah man, good stuff
0: and enable you to have fun Exactly. Oh, all the
2: fun. Exactly. I'm so like you I've had admin with dropper posts in the past and I was just thinking Likewise, the other day. Like been through all the major brands. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. just drop it's been a year and a half now. I've not done anything to it other than So the, the recommended and up service
0: interval on. is what? <laughs> depends. Uh, Six months to a year. Well mine's yeah, from, I was, the one's come
2: doodle service, but it's dude reliable. I was just sitting there like the other day realising I haven't had to worry about it. Just so grateful. My first
0: <laughs> line dropper did two Joburg to seize an enduro Western sure. Cape series I think a Bergen Bush oh, wow. I mean it's not Before, like it has like, a big payload do you have to service I was still at that age yeah. that phase of my my riding journey where I didn't know that you had to service drop seat posts yeah. or suspension I was like I wonder if I should like I wonder if I should service it but it didn't have
2: much of a payload that was really carrying around like it's no it's not like it had high wind. no no it was so really fit back then I think lost. I was 102 so so <laughs> <laughs> Your- were you thinking of Doug when you are designing your <laughs> dropper yeah, yeah. Like 100%. 100% it's pretty crazy to think how much weight goes through those things <laughs> on my
0: 200mm dropper that def- definitely flexes when you've got a bit of a slack seat angle
2: yeah with a kinked seat tube it eh? sure, puts a lot
0: puts a lot through there yeah But for any more details on line components and of course their website, if you want to go and check out their store and their full range of products, just check out the description notes below. Other than that, thanks for tuning in and we look forward to seeing you next week or rather chatting to you next week. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Dale. No problems.